0: So we have come to the last in our series on the, the book of James. And throughout this this book, he has had a lot to say about the tongue and the way in which we speak. And he's mentioned some of the lowest uses of the tongue, like complaining and gossip, judgmental words and, and swearing. But also they're the highest uses, like proclaiming God's word, prayer and praise. Prayer is certainly a high and a holy privilege and it's incredible to think that we can come before the almighty creator of this universe, the one who is Lord over everything, the one who is king over every king and we can bring our needs to him. So as we come to this last section in the book of James, he continues to challenge all aspects of how we relate to God but also how we relate to one another in prayer. It's very important that we read the book of James in the context of the whole of his letters. James is not disjointed in the way in which he writes. This is a coherent letter with connecting themes. But it's very easy for us to take this section at the end of chapter 5 out of context and begin to read it as a sort of stand-alone list of instructions. But that's not how it is to be read this letter comes together and it's based on the key idea of chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. It says this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. So we should accept the word of God humbly. Do what it says not judge or quarrel with one another and this letter ends where it begins with prayer and prayer touches every chapter of this book and therefore the implication as it that touches every area of our life the first point is this prayer impacts every aspect of your life james has constantly been challenging our reactions when things go wrong because all too often our reactions come become actually self-centered or even self-serving so what do we do when we face trouble when life gets a bit difficult do we try to fix the situation or do we moan and grumble or do we blame someone or become critical of others because they're having an easier time than we're having or when life is full of happiness do we get on and just enjoy it and actually don't give God well a second Luke. And we live like, well, atheists. Because after all, that is what we're doing if we live without God. And he describes how we should respond in chapter 5, verse 13. This is what it says. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. If anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise. And as Christians we are called to relate very differently in times of suffering and in times of happiness and cheerfulness. See an atheist lives in a world without God, a Christian lives all of their lives in relationship to God. And the big idea of this short section summarises everything that James has been saying up until now and it is absolutely wonderful. You can live all of your life in every season and emotion in relationship with God, never alone. Your pleasure and your joy and your satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ alone. This is what we talked about a little bit more last week. And this should be such an encouragement to you as a Christian in every situation Jesus is with you. But I don't think that we fully appreciate how important and how integral prayer is to that relationship. So your natural default response in every situation, and I mean every situation, should be to turn to Jesus in prayer before anything else. So in the good times, pray. In the bad times, pray. When things are going so wonderfully and you're so excited, pray. When you are struggling, perhaps even mourning, You pray. In each and every situation, pray. But how should we pray? When we apply some of the things we have already learnt. See a good place to start is back in chapter 1 and verse 5 by asking God for the wisdom that you need to understand the situation and to use it for his glory. So don't just moan and complain. Ask God. Ask God that God will give you the wisdom to know what. You are to do give him to, give you the wisdom to know what his will is. But also, you should also be praying that God would deliver, that God would bless you. If that is according to His will, remember in James chapter three and verse two, you do you do not have because you do not ask. And real things happen in answer to prayer that would not happen if you hadn't prayed. You need to. Ask. Ask for the breakthrough in times of trouble. Expect God to answer in one way or the other. Either, you see, God can. In fact, God does turn troubles into triumphs and you will see a miraculous breakthrough in that situation. As God breaks in, he does the most amazing and he can change situations. However, there are also those times when God answers prayer by giving you more grace to turn your weaknesses into strengths. So that you can endure the trials and use them to accomplish God's perfect will. And sometimes, sometimes he does both. When Paul and Silas were suffering in the Philippian jail, God put a song of joy in their heart. In Acts chapter 16 verse 25 it says About midnight Paul and Silas were praying, they were singing hymns to God and it was it was, what was while they were joyfully endurance that their deliverance came and God answered their prayer in the most dramatic way. An earthquake shakes the place, it opens every door, it breaks every chain and they are free and uninjured. It's worth noting just as a side note one thing that can help you most in prayer is praise and worship especially when you sing out and declare God's word but I cannot emphasize enough that this comes from a heart that is filled and captivated by the Holy Spirit but as you pray as you sing truths over your life God changes you and the environment around you perhaps one perhaps one of the most common forms of suffering however comes through sickness so what do you do when sickness Well the short answer is of course pray but this is not going to be a short answer. So praying for healing. Turn to chapter 5 of James verse 14 to 15. If anyone among you is sick let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And James, James here is not giving us some formula here to follow in order to provide for our healing. However, he is putting some good guidelines in place. You see, every situation is different. Every one of us are different. Therefore, the context is so important, both as we read God's word, but also as we pray for one another. So I want to give you five thoughts from these few verses, just to explain what I believe James is trying to say here. First thing is this, community. We tend to see both sickness and prayer as a private matter. Verse 14 changes that idea completely. Prayer for healing involves the church community. So when someone is sick, pray for them in unity. And pray for their healing. And if you are sick, if you've been struggling with with illness... Don't suffer alone. Invite others to pray with you. We live in a day of such great technology. A quick text can be so helpful just to say, look, pray for me. I'm, I'm struggling at the moment. I'm have not feeling very well. We really have no excuse than to ask and invite people around us to be praying for us this is a local church activity so the sick person are to call the elders and the regular leaders and the teachers of that church and James is not asking about some not talking about some sort of traveling evangelist who's going to come in with a gift of healing every every 12 months or so no James says that the leaders of the local church have the responsibility to seek God's will and to pray for healing this is how we are to live the everyday ordinary christian life to have our lives saturated with prayer to be praying for one another but actually This is pretty extraordinary because as we pray, God breaks in. Second thought is this, it is God who heals. It's not the anointing, it's not even the prayer, but the praying. But ultimately it's God who heals. I have used oil from time to time while I've prayed for the sick. However, God is not limited to this way of healing. The Greek word that's used here in verse 16 um. That is translated anointing. Is a medical term. It could be translated massaging. And this may be an indicator that James suggesting. Using all available means for healing. Along with asking the Lord for his divine touch. So the oil may be medically related. And we must not dismiss the expertise of medical professionals. They are truly a gift from God. But also... The anointing with oil seems to be a symbol of the healing power of the Holy Spirit. The Jewish readers that James is writing to would have been very familiar with the Old Testament verses like Isaiah 61 and verse 1. It says "There's The Spirit of the Lord, the Sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoner. And this is a promise from God to everyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit and should be such an encouragement to the sick believer, but also such an encouragement for you if you're praying for the sick. And God can heal either with oil or without oil, through medical intervention or without. And in each case, it is God who does the healing. But how often, in fact, very often he chooses to use you in his work. The third thought is this, is about faith. James talks about the prayer of faith. Whose faith? Well, James is not talking about the sick person. In fact, he says that the sick person just simply needs to ask for prayer. And the reality is for anybody who is really, really sick, it's often very difficult for them to pray. In fact, maybe even difficult for them to ask for prayer. That is why we need one another. We need the community of the church together to be praying. So, what is the prayer of faith that heals the sick? Well, there are those who claim that everybody is healed and that it is not God's will for anybody to be sick, but to come to claim such things is to deny both scripture and experience. So there are at least two ways of looking at this. The first is this: just based on 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, which says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. The prayer of faith can certainly describe a prayer offered when we know the will of God. So before you pray for anyone, seek the mind of God in this matter. Ask the Holy Spirit for a word of knowledge and actually pray according to his will. And as you pray for someone, you should first of all be asking, Lord, I need your wisdom. Lord, I need you to reveal to me how do I pray into this situation, how to begin to pray for this particular purpose and this particular person. What is your purpose in this, Lord? And sometimes... Sometimes we don't always know what God's will is. Sometimes heaven can be be quiet. But also we often can get so desperate for God to heal, particularly for someone who is seriously, seriously sick, that it's very difficult for us to come to terms with the fact that sometimes it may be God's will for that person to be taken home. So be careful how you pray. Sometimes it's simply best to pray, if it is your will, Lord heal this person but where there is an inner conviction from the word and from the spirit that it is God's will to heal we pray the prayer of faith and we expect God to work but also there's another way of looking at this because this is a tricky passage and it's not completely clear what James is saying here so the word that is translated to make well here could also mean save in verse 15 And raising him up might refer to getting up from a sickbed, but it also might be referring to the ultimate resurrection when Jesus returns, something that James has already mentioned three times in this passage. However, the relevance of Elijah perhaps helps us to unravel this passage, or at least gives us a different perspective on it. So as Elijah prayed, a drought came across Israel as God's punishment for Israel's sin. By his prayer again, rain came as a sign of Israel being restored to relationship with God. So it's very possible that this is what verse 15 is speaking about. Bringing back a sinful people, covering a multitude of sins and saving people. So in verse 15, it seems to have this sort of double meaning. Almost certainly there's this promise of earthly healing. We pray for the sick and they are healed. But James knows as well as any of us know that Christians will die. So God may heal, God can heal. So we pray for those who are sick. But also there's this promise of eternal salvation. God will save for eternity those who live and who pray in faith. Perhaps the greatest danger when sickness hits is not that we suffer or even that we die. is that we abandon Christ In our suffering. So when we are ill. It is vital that we are ill Christians. That we stay strong in our faith. And when you are sick. Get others to pray for you. Trust that God can and will heal you now. But you can be absolutely certain. That he will raise you up one day. That your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. So when you pray for someone. There are three areas of healing, and I think these three areas is what James is, is, is bringing out within these few verses. First of all, there is physical healing. We pray for the sick to see them healed now. Secondly, there's emotional healing. So we pray, we pray for God's peace. We also pray for God's grace. Actually, sometimes we have got to go through these trials. We've got to go through these sickness, So we need emotional healing for us to be able to deal with them. But thirdly, there is this spiritual healing. We pray for someone to be saved, that they may meet the Lord Jesus Christ, they may give their life over to him and be aware that physical healing is only temporary but spiritual healing is eternal. So we pray for the sick, we expect God to heal, he may heal in any, in fact, all of these three areas. But maybe it's just one. And if it's just one, There's one that is more important than all of the rest. It is so important that we receive spiritual healing, that we put our hope and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we meet with Jesus, because that is our eternal hope. The fourth thought is this, is around sin and things can get very controversial over the connection between sin and healing and we we all suffer sicknesses generally and indiscriminately because we live in a in a sinful fallen world however there are also cases where god sends specific sicknesses to a congregation because of the sin of its members i want to give you an example first of all and then i want to come back to james in a moment so in first corinthians chapter 11 The church was sinning. In fact they were judgmental. They were fighting. They were not loving one another. And most importantly there was no repentance. So Paul says they were taking communion in an unworthy manner. In verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. And it appears that it may not even be the people who were sinning who were sick. The whole congregation is being held guilty for the sin of its members. And there seems to be a corporate nature to sin that could mean that the whole church can be suffering. This, this makes us read James chapter 5 verses 12 to 20 in a very different light. As we've already seen, this congregation is sinning against each other. They are judging between themselves. They are mistreating the poor. They are fighting. They are grumbling and so on. So it's only natural for James to ask, Is anyone sick? And if so, they need to confess their sins and the elders need to pray. And it's very likely that their sickness is a result of unrepented sin. This is why the sick person is instructed to call the elders, not a doctor. So, what is James saying here? Well, James is encouraging an honesty in how we live our lives. A church where people can be honest about sin and prayer is one with one another is a church of people who keep growing and keep going in their faith. So although there's this connection between sin and sickness in the Bible, we do need to be really careful. So if you are ill this morning, or if you have been ill or have been struggling with, with sickness, God is not punishing you. Do you hear me? It's so important that you, you hear this. Don't hear what James is not saying. Listen, if you are ill, if you're sick, God is not punishing you christ has taken the penalty for all of your sins and when but but when there is no repentance of sin god may be disciplining you possibly to make us confront and confess our sins when we've been ignoring it or perhaps perhaps To give us more time to pray or to remind us that this world is painful and passing and that eternity with God is far better. So if you fall ill we mustn't assume that there is no link between our illness and our sin but equally we mustn't assume that there is a link either. The right question to ask is simply, what might God be teaching me through this trial? And the right response is, since God is working through this, I can have pure joy. This is where we started right back in chapter 1 and verse 2. But most importantly, whenever you are struggling with sickness or sin, in fact, maybe either or or even both of them, we have a powerful weapon Prayer. I've really been challenged with this passage and been struggling all week as we've been preparing it, and James is Certainly, I believe, challenging us to take God more seriously. And this passage has shocked me, my belief about prayer and sin. It's very easy for us to become blasé about the power and the importance of both. Sin is serious. Unrepentant sin can bring sickness. In our technological age, we assume physical illnesses are independent of our spiritual state and independently curable. But of course, that is not the case. My brother works... As a counsellor one day a week and many of the people that he meets have experienced a tragic loss within their lives and often they are stressed. Sometimes it leads to anger and anger all too often can lead to bitterness or even unforgiveness and a significant number of them have got physical pains and problems that cannot be explained by medicine. They've had the scans done, the CT scans have been done and the doctors say there's nothing wrong with you. The emotional pain often comes out in physical symptoms so we pray for healing we pray for healing spiritually we pray for healing of the emotions and we pray for healing of the physical but so often as we pray for the emotional and the spiritual healing we see the physical healed as well and we must never lose sight of the fact that sickness comes as a result of humanity's rejection of god Brings me to the fifth thing, confession and repentance. It is so important that we keep short accounts with God and that we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the true state of our hearts. Don't underestimate the power of confession and repentance when it comes to healing. You confess your sins first of all to God. That's where you go to begin with. First John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And private sin requires private confession. Public sin requires public confession. And repentance is not a one-off thing that we just do when we first come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But rather it's is a continual act based on a growing awareness of and the conviction of our sin in our daily lives. Repentance begins with an attitude of brokenness over your sin. But true repentance will be followed by an earnest desire and a sincere effort to put away the sin that you have been repenting of. It's to, it's to put on a Christ-like attitude. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Humility and repentance are all the mark of a growing Christian. See, the person who's experienced the work of the Holy Spirit is being gradually transformed into the image of Jesus. And you know both the joy of salvation, but also you know the seriousness of sin. This is is why we continually need the gospel. You will not fully appreciate the gospel of God's grace until you realise the absolute holiness of God and the depravity of your sin. But the wonderful news is that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins. He's dealt with them all, every single one of them. The big sins, the little sins, the sins that we are painfully conscious of, but also the sins that we're not even aware of. As the old, old hymn says, My sin, not in part, But the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And you need to embrace the gospel daily. And as you do, you look outside of yourself to Jesus, to his shed blood and his righteousness. Listen, so often when we begin to begin to look at our sin, we begin to internalise things. We begin to look into ourselves. Listen, that is not the gospel. The gospel is looking to Christ. It's looking to the cross. It's looking to what he has done because he has paid the price and his grace is enough to cover everything every one of our sins and through Jesus God says though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow and having a close relationship with God through daily repentance and holy spirit filling is so important but it's even more important if you are praying for if you're praying for someone to be healed or to be delivered Listen, if you've got a role within this church, whether it be leadership or a role just as you maybe pray for folks or meet with folks, titled or untitled, you must set an example in this. Live with an attitude of confession and repentance. Just one third thought as we finish. Powerful, effective prayer. End of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly and it would not rain. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens give rain and the earth produced its crops. And the call to live righteously, the call to this obedience, the call to confession and repentance is so important. And if you live righteously, it will have a huge impact on your ministry. But in particular, it will, make, it will have a huge impact on the effectiveness of the way in which you pray. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. An example that James uses here is that of a righteous man. A guy called Elijah. The background to the story is found in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 where the wicked king Ahab and Jezebel had led Israel away from God and they were worshipping Baal. And God punished the nation by holding back the rain that they needed for three and a half years and drought very quickly led to famine. Then Israel challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And all day long they are crying out to their false god. Cutting themselves in desperation. But actually no answer came. Not surprisingly of course. And then says. But at the end of the evening sacrifice. Elijah repaired the altar and he prepared to sacrifice. He then prays just once. And fire came down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And he proved that Jehovah was the one true God and that day a nation turned back to God but this nation still needed rain and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he fell down before the Lord in prayer and as he prayed he sent his servant off seven times to see if there's any evidence of rain the seventh time his servant saw a little cloud and before long the rain was falling heavily and the nation was saved You know, so easy for us to look at this story and think that Elijah was a special prophet of God and that we could never expect God to answer our prayers in this same and wonderful way. But of course that is not true. I want to just leave you four thoughts on this. I'm going to pick up some of these things after Easter. Just just to delve a little bit deeper into them. But the four thoughts for now are this. Firstly, this is for everyone. And the point that James is making here is that Elijah was a man just like us. Just like you. He was not perfect, in fact, just before the victory of Mount Carmel, Elijah became afraid and discouraged and he ran away. But he was a righteous man that lived in obedience to God and trusted in him. Listen, God's promise to answer prayer is for everyone who obediently calls on the name of the Lord. That includes you. Secondly, know God's word. Remember, prayer is not about getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. And as Elijah prayed, he prayed in faith because God had told him it was going to rain. God's word had been spoken. Elijah had heard it and he prays according to the will, the prayer of faith according to God's word. Listen, you cannot separate the word of God from prayer. It is only God's word that can give you the promises that you claim through prayer. Thirdly, be persistent. Elijah not only believed in prayer, but he was persistent. He continued to pray for rain until the servants reported that he saw the cloud the size of a man's hand. And how often do you not get what God has promised you because you have stopped praying too soon? You need true believing, but persistence in prayer. And then fourthly, be earnest. Prayer comes from the heart and there must be a determination and a concern as you pray. Elijah prayed earnestly. The literal Greek reads, and he prayed in his prayer. This is more than just some sort of lazy religious words. He's, he, he's not just going through the motions of it and trying to use flowery language. No, your heart must be engaged. Your emotions are involved as you connect with the Spirit and with the will of God. And the power of prayer is the greatest power in the world today. Do you believe that? It truly is. But we need to pray, we need to take this seriously. See, it will change your life, it'll change your church, it'll change your city and it'll change your nation. And we will see the sick healed, breakthroughs in lives, the lost saved and wonders restored if, if you will pray. Will you? Let's pray.